hey, it's time for Animation Celery. Crunchy conversations about classic cartoons. When your pals say, let's get wrecked, muster up your self-respect. Go on, push your check, protect yourself, get up and go. I'm Micah. I'm Matsy. I don't know who the dog in the background is, if you can hear that. <laughs> they seem to bark every night around this time, which is really annoying, because I'm often trying to go to sleep. Mm. Anyway, dogs aside, this is Animation Celery, a podcast where we give each other cartoons to watch and review and recap. And we're doing some short films this time, including Felix the Cat, uh, the National Film Board of Canada, Max Fleischer, well, I think it's David Fleischer, actually, yeah. and Scotland. But first, we got to chat about something, and I don't know what we're going to talk about, because there's no My Little Pony. Well, I guess there's the... Did you start watching the new My Little Pony? Well, I have seen it. We talked about it on the show before, but I'd have... Yeah. Only, the, only the special that opens it up. But no, yeah. not yet. Not yet. Um, I guess... Uh, <laughs> first off, I was watching... You know those uh, wired YouTubes uh, where they get an expert to answer Twitter questions? Oh, Yes. So they had a toxicologist on there. Now, oh, this seems to come up a lot in these days where if you say poison for an animal that injects toxins, that somebody yeah. will correct you and say venom. You yes. find that? Um, hey, I have. You are one, are one of those people? There, no, um, there was... <laughs> Uh, towards the end of my career of doing a webcomic, I tried doing this Inktober thing where every day had a word. Mm -hmm. And one of them, I think, was either poisonous or venomous. And so I did a comic about exactly that. Oh. <laughs> about, like, um, one of the characters was like, do you think there's any poisonous snakes? And like, oh, I doubt it. And then explaining that, you know, things are poisonous, venom, blah, blah, blah. So, yes, I know the... I, I know the phenomenon you're talking about. Yeah. So for a long time, I figured it was because I figured that the venom was from living organisms and poison would be like mercury or lead or something like that, or, you know, carbon monoxide. Mm. So then I got some clarity that it's, it's the delivery method that matters. So, yes. you know, if, if an animal bit you with fangs and injected you with poison, that's a, or it's a venom. Yes. And if you ate a frog and got sick, that's a poison. Right. Okay. Well, anyway, this toxicologist kind of <laughs> broke it down that all of these are poisons, really. Right? Mm -hmm. So I, it's kind of like the discussion before about how uh, it turns out that tortoises are land turtles. Right. I'm thinking that all venoms are poisons, but not all poisons are venoms. Okay. And that it's not incorrect to say... That a snake is poisonous. Yeah, all right. Yeah. What, what cartoon has a villainous organization called Venom? Oh, shoot. Um, it's a mask, isn't it? That was my first thought, yeah. Um, I think so. And then I immediately thought, boy, they're ripping off G.I. Joe hard. Well, you know what? They uh, released uh, a Max Tracker figurine in mm -hmm. the G.I. Joe card back. So it's like oh. Mask as a division of G.I. Joe now. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, anyway, it's one of those things that... <laughs> uh, I, I say poison uh, often enough for people where there will be somebody who corrects me. Venom! And I, I think, you know, no, I'm, I'm, I'm accurate. It's okay. 
No, I, I was going to say, I like uh, using octopuses as the plural of octopus. Uh, yeah. Nobody nobody ever corrects me. I think people might be getting smart to that one. Hmm. By the way, it is Venom. Is the uh, It's also an acronym, okay. just, just like uh, the uh, mask. So it's V period, E period, so on. Villainous, evil monsters of... Uh, what's the last letter? Ven- no, well, villainous, you, you, evil... N- N- no Nerd- goodniks yeah. of mayhem. You know what? I got the. This is important. It ended up being cartoon related. My little nonsense. So, um, yeah, yeah. Let's see. Oh, I. They're led by Miles Mayhem. I knew that. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know if he's a subsidiary of uh, Cobra. Hmm. It would make sense though, being named Venom. Yeah. Except as his ego, I don't think would allow him to be subservient. But then again, Cobra's kind of a mess anyway with uh, Destro yeah. and Cobra Commander vying yeah. for, so. Yeah. Or for that matter, well, I guess I'll, I'll save it for more. Sir, actually, talking about G.I. Joe. Oh, God. Yeah. Um, anyway, I have a little mini review to do here at the top. Oh, um, right. Yeah, this. Yeah. It's of a cartoon called Goofy and Wilbur. Mm-hmm. It, it's the first Goofy cartoon. In fact, so old that they refer to the cartoon as a Mickey Mouse. Really? Um, yeah, isn't that weird? Um, huh. Okay, so. Wasn't he Dippy Dog at first? Y- well, yeah, but it was like, I think his first cartoon, uh, Mickey is putting on a play in a barn. And he's. Oh. A, yeah, he's a loud old dog in the audience so yeah okay yeah it was not really the focus uh okay so this is the first goofy cartoon i didn't realize that yeah apparently so uh, one that features him anyway um so at the beginning goofy uh kind of chugs along in his boat to a forbidden fishing creek Mm. and there he employs his grasshopper buddy wilbur to hop out onto the water and really dangerously lure fish back to the boat. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's plucky, though. He's willing to do it. So, yeah, I mean, as long as he's happy. But uh, but I was yeah. like, man. And then like, well, y- go ahead. Yeah. So it's ex- this is successful for a while until a clever fish pretends to be asleep so that it can get the jump on Wilbur. Goofy's net breaks from the size of his previous catch. And so the clever fish swallows Wilbur. The panicked dog manages to extract his insect buddy and revive him with some smelling salts. Uh, and then undaunted, the grasshopper just does it some more. He contends with yeah. several. Yeah. <laughs> and he, he really ups the game by fighting several of the fish of the, of the style that managed to get him last time. Um, yeah. Uh, anyway, hubris is his downfall because he is unaware and gets swallowed by a frog. And then Goofy gets in a, you know, a Goofy chase with that frog emulating his movement. Uh, The frog gets swallowed by a crane, leading to another instance of Goofy copying the gait of the animal he's pursuing. Mm -hmm. And in a really perplexing turn, when he gets to, he chases the crane from the nest, that crane had laid Wilbur into an egg. Yeah. So everything is okay when it hatches and the friends reunite. Happy days. Yeah. 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 (laughs) <laughs> this is it's <laughs> been a long time since we've had a cartoon with tobacco spittle and Wilbur's like an expert at it. 
Well, I don't know that it's tobacco like grasshoppers. You know, I don't know if you remember catching grasshoppers as a kid, but they leave this black stuff on your hands. Oh, yeah. Huh? Yeah. I don't remember catching them as a kid. I do remember when I go to family reunions in Alberta, I would mm. like stand at the roadside and get pelted with them. <laughs> um, no, they they spit. I, I think they're kind of famous for that. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if the grasshopper insecticon and transformers had some kind of like acid spit. Hmm. Okay. Well, at any rate, it, it it's brown spittle and it makes the spittoon sound when he does it. So yeah, eh. yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Um, okay. So I have a coworker, yet another one, uh-huh. uh, who you know sometimes I talk to him about cartoons, and uh, he got me an unexpected gift. Oh, I'll share this on my Twitter, of course. But have a look at this, Matsy. Whoa. Yeah, that's cool. It, yeah, I'm looking. I'm looking at a poster, like a, a theatrical poster, for Goofy and Wilbur. Yeah, uh, Mickey Mouse. Yeah, that's a, a print of that uh, poster. Huh. That's so, cool. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> I like that he's reading a book that says how to fish, and apparently the instructions are get a grasshopper. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> make friends with him. Yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah. So. A really swell huh. gift, and it's it's part of my uh, my animation celery recording layer now. So, huh? You you texted me that you wanted to watch this cartoon, so I did. Yeah, and you said for reasons. Yeah, and so I'm watching the cartoon, looking for the reason, and I thought I had it. Oh yeah, I I mean I didn't expect this. Yeah, the reason that I thought you wanted to watch this is because there's an instance where Goofy takes off one of his gloves. Oh, uh, yeah. And he has a flesh-colored hand underneath. <laughs> yeah. That's how you can tell I, the cannons apart, the Goof I, Troop cannon. I, I thought this was another of your investig... I also like that the <laughs> gloves actually had, like, little holes where they buttoned up on the palm. Oh, yeah, you yeah. You can see the skin underneath. Like, that's a weird little detail. Yeah. But, um, no, your reason's way cooler. Yeah, it's pretty neat. Yeah, it's a good little cartoon, too. It's all right. So let's see. What else did I do this week? Oh, I watched um, a movie, an anime movie called Bubble. Okay. Um, it's directed by Tetsuro Araki, who is known for Death Note, Attack on Titan, and Kabaneri, which is sort of Attack on Titan, but zombies instead of giants. Okay. Um, and it's got designs, I found out, uh, by Takeshi Obata, who I love him. He did. Uh, he's the artist for Death Note and lots of other good stuff. Um, okay, so this story uh, is about a weird phenomenon where bubbles descend on Tokyo and okay. they have strange effects. Uh, the most dramatic being an explosion at Tokyo Tower. Hmm. And then that cordons off a zone around it of a giant bubble. And there's like weird phenomena there where... Uh, Sometimes some objects don't respond to gravity correctly, so there's, like, floating stuff, essentially. Mm-hmm. And, you know, lots of bubbles around. And so it's made the area unhabitable. I guess the explosion also submerged a lot of the city as well. Hmm. The characters in the storyline are a blend of researchers and more so, like, anarchists who just want to go to this ruined city to live. Right. And... <laughs> they uh 
the gr the rival groups maintain the peace by having competitive battle core competitions parkour where stuff they've scavenged is on the line huh. um so you know it's like a des deserted wrecked city so there's lots of stuff to bounce off of and swing under and so on right right the main character is a parkour genius but he's he's socially awkward because he's got uh hearing oversensitivity Oh, and I guess other reasons too. Like, you, I guess maybe he lost most everything when the explosion happened because he was at Tokyo Tower at the time, and also oh, yeah. his his hearing sensitivity possibly leads him to uh, be haunted by this melody that only he can hear. Um, hmm. Anyway, a magic girl shows up all of a sudden, <laughs> and uh, and and she's part of this mystery. So. This thing has got brilliantly animated parkour in it. Okay. I, I like the more realistic stuff. I mean, um, Hibiki, the, the, the boy and the girl Uta can do ridiculous parkour where they're like vaulting off of uh, floating objects and the like. I kind, I kind of like the more grounded stuff a little more. Um, okay, yeah. But as you might imagine, a director who worked on the first three seasons of Attack on Titan with their high-flying omnidirectional gear is pretty well suited to animating this kind of stuff. Yeah. And it's also got, like, decadent close-ups. So, mm. like, what you think of when you think of an anime close-up, um, where they're just so lurid, if only because of the rich detail in them. Hmm. Now, the story, I think, is not so great, because um, while I don't really want a story to hold my hand necessarily... I don't never really got an idea of what the rules were to this place. Oh, like, yeah. like eventually you learn red bubbles equal bad, but you know, like there's, there's weird phenomena like vortexes that are dangerous and the like. And since they're researcher characters, it would have been nice had they described some of what was going on. Um, also, it wasn't clear to me. Can they exit the bubble? You see in like a news, uh, news coverage about it, that uh, anarchists are like going into the bubble. Mm -hmm. there's so few people there. I have to imagine that you can't come out of it or something, you know, because, <laughs> you know, this is like notorious people from all over the world would be coming there. I think even if it was dangerous. Yeah. But, but uh, sounds like somebody played Fortnite. <laughs> I guess it kind of was like that. One of the problems is the, the central characters are not great. Mm -hmm. Like the hero is pretty dull. He's, he's, too, he's too cool for school, and I don't think they, like, everything feels a little surface, like, where, you know, he's got a garden, but so what, right? You know, yeah. you never, you never get, like, I know he's not supposed to outwardly be emotional, but we should see his emotions, I think. Yeah. And Uta's kind of a, a somewhat tired trope of that born sexy yesterday trope, you know? Yeah, yeah. Where she's, you know, she not even a toddler. She's kind of feral when they first meet her. So, you know, as I said, there's just some story deficiencies, but it could be worth watching if you just wanted to see some really swell visuals. I, for me, I think it would have been more interesting had they focused on the idea of these guys being anarchists in like an apocalyptic, apocalyptic zone and maybe not, yeah, yeah. not necessarily 
got all the answers for it, but just, you know, the idea of these people loving their freedom and scavenging and all that stuff could have pulled me in and had that fantasy like, oh yeah, you know, I'd like to uh, creep around a submerged store and, and get canned goods and batteries and stuff. <laughs> it is interesting but. to think about people who are like living in like a post-apocalyptic setting by choice. Like, yeah, yeah, it's cool. You know, just outside, it's fine. Like, because there's so many things of like, oh, this used to be a civilization and now we're scrounging for canned goods and stuff. But, you know, if we just went like a meter to the left, we could go to a 7-Eleven. Sure. Like, yeah. And this one, you know, the here's another trope for this kind of uh, like apocalyptic civilization is the amount of time people spend on their haircuts. <laughs> like, at least here they have modern amenities, right? So they can... But even so, I feel that people's clothes are too intact and clean. But anyway, um, mm. so it wasn't bad. It just uh, I, I'm probably being a little hard on it because this is like one of these centerpiece kind of like animated movies. Right. That's yeah. Well produced and gorgeous, but you kind of want it to be the full package. Yeah. And it, you know, it kind of doesn't get there. But uh, no, these things happen. Yeah. So. That was basically my stuff. How about you, Matsy? What's your stuff? You know, I I think we're going to have a weird theme in this episode because one of the shorts we have coming up is Mm. sort of along these lines of like, you know, weird apocalyptic cityscape in a way. Hmm. Uh, But also the thing that I watched uh, sounds real familiar after I hear you describe this bubble. <laughs> bubble, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I don't watch a lot of anime. Sometimes mm-hmm. I'll watch like one episode of something and go, yeah, okay, that's sure. neat, and then never come back to it. You know, the one one anime I can think of that I watched all the way through was Kaiba, if you recall, which was really like, had a unique visual style and was weird in all kinds of different ways. Sure. Uh, so another one popped up recently. Uh, it's an ongoing series called Yurei Deco. Hmm. The concept of this, and it's only three episodes in, so it hasn't really shown all its cards yet. Okay. Um, the concept is it takes place on an island city-state called Tom Sawyer. Hmm. And the idea here is that Citizens are basically required to have these optical augmentations called deco in their eyes. Most of the time, they're surgically implanted, but you can also get uh, glasses if you don't want surgery. And basically, it means that this whole city is built around augmented reality. Uh, It's all the buildings are all just nondescript gray because... Mm. You can just decorate them however you want in your own vision. Ah, it's like everybody's got Google Glass, I guess. Kinda. Yes, yes, yeah. yeah. Um, or if you consider, you know, what if iPhones, except it's in your eyes. Because it's it's like, you know, you can just bring up a control interface. If you want to take a picture or message with somebody or whatever, you just bring it up in front of you. Hmm. Um, But also the other concept in this world is that it is built around love and respect for your fellow person to the extent that everyone has a love score. Uh, Okay. And which is 
which can be visible in the augmented reality. You can see how much love people have and it's currency. You use your love to buy things like, for example, like, you know, there's a scene where someone, the main character is a girl named Barry and she's out and a friend of hers shows up, but it's just this floating fish. Uh, and that's this person's new avatar. Uh, right. They have augmented themselves to look like a fish. And Barry thinks that it's lovey, which is the equivalent of cool. Okay. And she takes a selfie with this avatar and posts it on some unnamed social media platform. And it starts raking in love as people love the picture of her with this fish. The hmm. the story aspect of it is that Barry's right deco, the deco in her right eye, is on the fritz. But also, there's an urban legend of a being called the Zero Phantom. And, or no, Phantom Zero, sorry. And Phantom Zero, they surmise, is connected to something called the Zero Phenomenon, which is where an isolated section of the city can have all of its love reset to zero. Huh. It's an urban legend. Like, there, you know, everybody's like, there is, I think there's a saying in the game. It's like, zero is a lie and everything that isn't zero is truth. Huh. Okay. So Barry, as I said, her, she's having some trouble with the deco in her right eye. It doesn't work properly. And on the way to an ophthalmologist appointment, she spots a person who is only visible in her right eye when it turns off. Hmm. Uh, this person, you know, obviously has some kind of an invisibility filter on. It's a, it comes out later that this person has illegally hacked people's decos so that they don't exist. They, they don't exist in their vision. Right. And they're also a scam artist. Like you see them, you see them, uh, take the form of some wealthy, somebody who has like over a hundred thousand love. And, and, uh, this person takes the form of that, uh, wealthy guy's father and shames him for, you know, reveling in his inheritance and gets him to transfer all the love back. So okay. basically scamming people out of all their love. But Barry can see this person and it kind of comes to a head in the first episode when, the I'll, I'll just say now this person and this is one of those you want to talk about tropes. This person is a girl who looks like a boy mm -hmm. and is named Hack. And they and obviously Barry thinks, oh, this is the this is the zero phantom or phantom zero. OK. And but she can't prove it because she's she can only view this person. She can only view Hack when her deco isn't working, and so the deco can't record what she's seeing. But right. then they run afoul. They end up in this weird... There's a, like, virtual reality space called the Hyperverse, and they end up in there during a zero phenomenon where there's another being that Hack... Hack has a weird way of talking where she'll... Like, she has this cutesy way of referring to things. Like, she refers to Vary as the um, nerdy birdie. Okay. And there's this being which Hack calls the glitchy witchy who seems to control the zero phenomenon. This seems to be the actual Phantom Zero. Hmm. 
And so it's like I said, it's still building, but there's another character named Finn who is, is allied with Hack and like they're. It seems like, you know, Barry and her friends are having fun researching this urban myth, uh, Phantom Zero. But actually, there's a real group of people. Uh, Yurei, they're called, which I believe is the Japanese word for ghost. Hmm. Uh, these people are unregistered. They okay. are unrecognized by the government. They never had Deco installed. And huh. they are they're like basically off the grid. Ah. And a certain group of these Yure, including Hack and Finn, are actually trying to figure out what's going on with the actual Zero Phenomenon. And Barry gets embroiled with them. And like I said, it's only three episodes in, so it's still really building. But interesting idea, you know, AR taken to the extreme. Um, mm -hmm. But then you also you also get to see things like. Barry uh, sneaks into her parents' work, which is done virtually, and they're basically moderators whose job is to delete images and content that may make people worry or uncomfortable from social media. Right. Like, oh, there's somebody holding their crying baby outside of a burning apartment. Now, delete that. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. There's some guy getting beaten up. Delete that. Uh, just deleting all of the uncomfortable things from all of social media. So everybody's happy all the time. You know, kind of, a, I guess, 1984 sort of thing. Yeah. Kind of the pitfall of a love based economy. Yeah. Yeah. So I am really curious. It also has a neat visual style. It's animated by oh, I can never remember the name of this thing. What, the studio? Yeah. Science Saru. Science Saru. Uh, now, they have animated some things. I don't really know most of them, but the one that did catch my eye was an episode of Adventure Time called Food Chain. Oh, yeah. Which is very distinct from the rest of Adventure Time. It's it's basically Finn and Jake in some kind of like uh, virtual reality sort of exhibit in a science museum learning about the food chain by hmm. being a part of it like butterflies and stuff um a really differently vis different visual style from the rest of adventure time and yeah it's it's very interesting i'm i'm looking forward to watching more of this yurei deco yeah sounds cool. cool and looks cool you know an interesting uh, thing uh yeah. interesting that you let from kaiba another thing that they've produced is Devilman Crybaby, which is directed by Uwasa, who made Kaiba. So oh. they, they have a look they like. So there's a connection there. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Neat. So, well, yeah. Yeah, I'll warn people, Devilman Crybaby is really grim, but yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. Well, you are warned. So, yeah, uh, that's what I watched, and I think it's pretty cool. Hmm. And is there a way to transition smoothly into Felix the Cat? I don't think so. Let's no. just do it. We'll go from bright and colorful to starkly black and white. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, I'm going to be looking at Felix the Cat in Woo's Whoopee, directed by Otto Mesmer in 1930. So hmm. Fe 
Felix the Cat was created by either cartoonist Pat Sullivan or his lead animator, Otto Mesmer, way back in 1919. Yeah. Uh, During the silent era of film, the surreal cat was the first animation character to attain big fame. Uh, And though he was enormously popular in his day, he was quickly supplanted by characters such as Mickey Mouse when sound cartoons were first created. So the one I'm going to be looking at now uh, begins at a lively downtown joint called the Whoopee Club. (laughs) Numerous cartoon animals are partying and none party harder than Felix the Cat. Yeah. But while he's dancing and drinking, his wife cat waits angrily at home with a rolling pin in hand. (laughs) It's 3.30 in the morning before Felix bids adieu to his club chums. The city seems to sway as much as the drunken cat does. He stumbles into a lamppost that becomes animate, shoves him away, and dusts itself off with a brush, which it then throws at Felix's face. The bristles act as a beard, and for a short while, Felix limps like an old man and follows the walking lamppost. I'm going to tell you that this is a crazy cartoon. Things happen just because. Well, that's what Felix does. Yeah. Um... So the de-bearded cat feels amorous, but the sexy lamp rebuffs him. Loudishly, he tackles the post, but it transforms into a smoke-spewing dragon. So Felix runs away through the topsy-turvy town, and a more differenter monster suddenly appears and spits fire at Felix, but he counteracts it with the spritz of a throat tonic bottle. Feeling himself, the cat rips the end of his tail to smoke like a cigar. Uh, A little hasty, Felix, because all manner of beasts, including elephants, lions, and winged gorillas, threaten. He escapes and unwisely has another drink. The bottle becomes some kind of striped snake monster. Then from horrifying to useful, it turns into a car, and Felix cranks the engine with his tail. He speeds along, but a police officer whistles him down and shoots his coat buttons off to destroy the car. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Felix lands in a fish that turns into a saxophone that turns into a walking trumpet. (laughs) He runs in fear into his home at last, taking one last look out the keyhole to see the psychotic rattling hippo monster that remains outside. And this weird monster is actually pretty funny. (laughs) Uh, I like the noise too. It's just kind of mental. Anyway, um, Felix tries to sneak up the stairs, but tumbles down them. Then the delusion of a chicken laughs at him, so he attacks it. But come to find out that in reality, he's strangling a pillow in his marital bed, and his wife is none too pleased to see him, and she kicks him out of bed. Then a cuckoo comes out of the clock, but Felix shoots it with a pistol. The end! (laughs) By the way, the time on the clock was 6 a.m., so his weird psychedelic episode apparently lasted two and a half hours. Yeah, well, you know, time is the only thing that really sobers you. Yeah. Actually, I was listening to a podcast review Dumbo a while ago. Uh-huh. And they were talking about the elephants on parade where Dumbo falls into the vat of whatever, the yeah. of, of booze. And they're thinking like, what booze is this? This is LSD. <laughs> yeah, really? Yeah. <laughs> d- d- boy, cartoons... 
I mean, I am not a drinker by any means. No. You know, I can't even say that my father was a drinker. Nah. But um, I have been, I guess, something akin to drunk. And boy, was I not seeing any visions. No. Making bad yeah. choices, maybe, but yeah. Yeah, I guess I, I, I felt like I was totally fine at the time. But then l later looking back on it, I was like, gee, why did I do that? I guess my judgment was impaired. Maybe in 1930, they had to cut out the scene where Felix does a bunch of tabs and mushrooms. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Or maybe, maybe this is just him on, a, on the average day and he's drunk also. Because as you say, Felix's thing is that he's kind of crazy, right? So, yeah, I'm trying to think now when Prohibition was in the United States. It was in the 30s, yeah? I mean, I don't think it's illegal in this cartoon. Uh, from 1920 to 1933. Oh, so it was on. Yeah, I guess so. Well, the club is not well hidden, so maybe this is a story no. about the glory days. <laughs> yeah. Hey, okay, at this point, there's no cells, right? They're tracing the stuff very accurately. Yeah. It sort of feels like a huge, impressive student project because, like I say, for one, it's animated on paper, but also yeah. for the sound, which is not complex. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah. Felix, for the most part, uh, is sort of like a gibbering Mickey Mouse. Doesn't say too yeah. many words, but ha 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 laughs at stuff a lot. Yeah, yeah. And I, for his design, I think there's a reason it's classic. And I like him best when his mouth is open and he's got those uh, fangs that are extensions of the contours of his mouth. Oh, little sure. nubs. Yeah. I like Felix. Yeah. But I haven't seen a lot of Felix. No. And I kind of don't know that this is a good example of Felix. I'd like to see. I'm Well, first of all, I'd like to know if there is one. Like, did he just fall by the wayside before he really hit his stride? Well, looks like he was he was mega popular. People went to the theaters to see Felix. Yeah, true. Yeah. But yeah, he just fell off. I mean, he was supplanted by Mickey Mouse. Yes. And yes. I guess I guess others of the day. But uh, he's popped up here that. Like there was uh what was that cartoon? The Twisted Tales of Felix. Yeah. In the nineties. And there's one before then too in the fifties. Yeah. Where they change things around where they give him a magic bag and that's the Yeah, that he can do anything with his magic bag. I kinda like yes. him better here, where he just does anything, period. Like uh he takes off his scalp and ears to, you know, salute people like it's a hat. Right. He does numerous things with his tail, you know. Yeah. Or kicks off his slippers, which are just the outsides of his feet, I guess. I I agree. Like, the magic bag seems like just an excuse for him to do wild stuff. Don't give him an excuse. Just let him do the wild stuff. He's had two movies. Um, have you seen... Uh, not the... The pre-2000s movie. Hmm. No, I don't think I've seen any Felix movies. Oh my... Uh, I'm looking at the days. 1988. It is okay. freaking awful. Huh. It is bad and incoherent. Oh, my God. <laughs> I and may it, have to watch a few clips just to get an idea. It, it is the magic bag, Felix, too, of course. Or yeah, of course. At, but so bad. So that that actually was my first like experience of Felix the cat. I knew he wasn't like that, probably. Like, mm -hmm. I, I knew he. <laughs> I didn't know he was like this. I figured he would just right. be stock standard, you know, 
uh, Oswald the Lucky Rabbit, Bosco kind of stuff, you know. Mm. Like I'm thinking about it now, and I'm realizing how many things my first exposure to was a game for the NES. Oh, yeah. Like, there was a Felix the Cat NES game. Mm-hmm. That, that was probably the first time I saw Felix. But I'm thinking of other things like Little Nemo. I didn't know what Little Nemo was until that NES game. Oh. Um, Fester's Quest, the Adams Family uh, huh. NES game. That was my first exposure to the Adams Family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just, you know, they're, they were just making NES games about whatever they could because it was a license to print money. <laughs> right. I guess it's easier than thinking up something new. Although it's funny when the games clearly aren't those things and they've just re- yeah. reskinned them. You know, they had a full game and then just went, ah, uh, now this guy's Batman, I guess. And the last boss is Joker. But- yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's a game where the opposite of that happened. Uh, Journey to Silius. Yeah which was originally intended to be a Terminator game. But mm. then they lost. Decided, no, this isn't a Terminator game anymore. And then like, okay, uh, it's just some schlub then. Hmm. Hmm. Back to Felix. Um, yeah. Like I say, he doesn't, he's not verbose. Well, I guess he is. He makes lots of noise. Um, he's voiced by, uh, at this time, a jazz musician called Harry Edison. Hmm. Um, not really known for a lot of other voice work, I don't think. And, and his voice changes pretty quickly. His voice actor. Um, yeah. I've got a funky bit of trivia. You know the comicer Todd McFarlane? Yes. Uh, you know, created Spawn, worked on Spider-Man and the Hulk. Mm-hmm. Uh, he always hides a Felix the Cat in his comic books. Oh, really? Yeah. That's neat. Yeah, yeah. The, a comic store guy was showing me that once, just pointing him out in various panels. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. So it's nice to be indulgent like that sometimes. Yeah. I I can see the appeal of this character. I know I wouldn't mind watching more of it. Yeah. Like I say, because yeah. because he's not Bosco or Oswald or any of those cartoons, he's especially if his cartoons are this weird. Yeah, I'm in. Well, yeah, that's the thing. Like, that's what differentiates him. Like, he's not just a a guy in an everyday situation. He's a guy in an everyday situation who deals with it in bizarre anatomy twisting ways. Yeah. Maybe yeah, it's fun. Maybe it wasn't only sound that, that drove movie movie goers to see the other cartoon characters. Maybe it was coherence, you know? <sighs> wow. Like Mickey took oh, his I girl on a date and then there was a strong guy who got in the way, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I get it. I know what that is. Yeah. Hmm. Anyway, pretty neat. Um, yeah. I think we don't have far to go for some craziness. In fact, just eight years. Yeah, no. Um, this is 1938, and this is called All's Fair at the Fair. Probably not the fair that you're thinking of, though. Mm. Uh, this is a Max Fleischer cartoon, although it's directed by Dave Fleischer. Um, and it is about the World's Fair. Now, it doesn't specify which World's Fair, but it is worth noting that they had a World's Fair in New York City in 1939. Basically, during the Great Depression, uh, when it was like, oh, no, but look at what the future is going to be like. Mm-hmm. And that's what this is, because you immediately see like it just starts with like this 
this wreckage that says there's a world fair today. And then a whole bunch of people show up and just build a future city. (laughs) Yeah. From the bottom up. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Uh, It's complete with, and you know, people come in, there's a sort of tram system, which is literally sardine cans full of people Mm. that show up. Uh, It's one of those things that happens in early cartoons where a scene goes just a little bit too long. Like you didn't need two cycles of the sardine can tram showing up to let people in but whatever they were still learning comedic timing at this point Hmm. and it's important that we just get past this to the other means of transportation for example the automobile or the horse-drawn carriage which is what elmer and miranda are riding in a couple of hicks who have come to see the amazing wonders of the future starting with free parking which is a (laughs) <laughs> a magnet-powered lift thing that stacks all the cars and kind of has trouble with a metalless horse-drawn carriage hmm. and has to turn into pincers to pick it up. Elmer and Miranda head in to see some of the wonders. For example, automatic knitting hands that knit a sweater from a lamb that's right there, <laughs> or a machine that punches furniture out of a log. Um, The gag that I was waiting for didn't take long to show up, which is a entire tree being used to make a single clothes peg. Didn't they do that in Tiny Toons, of course, much later, where it's just like one of those wooden spoons for an ice cream? Uh, there's been all kinds yeah. of variants of that, like turning into a toothpick. There sure. was a Simpsons episode in the bowling alley where every time the pins oh, got knocked yeah. down, they used a whole tree to build a new pin. Right. So this um, this, this joke is as old as time in cartoons. Well, this may have been the beginning of it. Maybe. Yeah. Um, A gag that I did quite like was this house-shaped mold that furniture gets poured into, gets shaken up, and then lifts out an entire house inside. Just like a a, a tube of bricks and mortar and stuff falls in and, yeah, shakes it. Yeah, like, yeah, 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 that's cool. And, you know, Um, and uh, my first big laugh out loud when I first watched this cartoon, uh, when one of those houses is made... A stork flies overhead and drops a baby down the chimney. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, Elmer says, would you look at that? And Miranda says, isn't that wonderful? And Elmer says, nope. <laughs> yeah, I made a note of that, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I made a note of that, too. Actually, another thing that I made a note of, which I glossed over, was uh, the song. It didn't even gloss over it. I didn't mention it. Yeah. Um, as a lot of cartoons do, this cartoon has a song in the opening. Mm. And it... It says that in one point, you're sure to meet Tom, Dick and Harry. Hmm. And I was like, oh, cool. The Dover boys are here. Huh. Anyway. Yeah, um, they they get thirsty and have an orange drink, which is really inefficient in that it grows a plant with an orange on it and yeah. freshly squeezes that orange for them. Mm-hmm. And then they they go into a weird a weird establishment that is a combination dining, dancing, uh, like shave and haircut beauty parlor thing. Right. Uh, yeah. Haircut, shave, dining, dancing it's called. Okay. And so they head in. They go to their separate ways. The barber and the beauty parlor where Elmer has basically robots give him a shave and haircut and hot towel treatment and all that and all that. And uh, then stick out five robotic hands for tips. Hmm. Meanwhile, Miranda is in a beauty parlor where she gets her hair dyed into a more acceptable color. A mud pack to make her face more pretty. 
Sanders to rosy up her cheeks and a mold to squish her down into a more acceptable body shape. <laughs> yeah. Uh, complete with shorter dress. Uh, I liked at this point is this is what I noticed the sound effects in this. Yeah. Uh, some of the sound effects, like the lipstick going on her face. Oh, is yeah. Clearly just somebody going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, the two don't even recognize each other. So, you know, the Elmer's like, oh, pardon me. And oh, it's you and you look at that. They, they talk, by the way, kind of Popeye style where oh yeah clearly the lines were recorded after the animation because it doesn't really sync up oh there's no attempt to sync the mouths yeah no no uh they head into the dancing part where they see a bunch of happy couples all dancing out and so they go in they put a quarter like everything runs in quarters here might be nickels uh, yeah you're you're right you yeah. know what you're right it might be nickels um and they turn on a robot to start the music and then they put more nickels let's say in dancing instructors oh no wait they're not even they're not it's listed as dancing partners but they kind of murmur about learning to dance mm -hmm. so elmer gets a girl robot and then miranda gets <laughs> i thought she was going to be jealous but she just gets a boy robot nah, there's, and so the there's two of them swinging hicks oh they swing i actually yeah. took note of that um because they're really swinging their well i mean i not the swinging that you mean Oh, yeah, but, yeah. like the they swing the way they dance, they really swing their butts yeah. side to side. And I'm thinking, how is this acceptable? But people were really mad at Elvis Presley like yeah. 30 years later. Hey, maybe he stole it from this cartoon. <clears throat> yeah, I'm sure he did. Hmm. Anyway, the dance instructors do a good job showing them how to dance and spin them off. So they end up dancing with each other. They uh, end up kissing. And then as they're leaving, Elmer spots a, uh, a vending machine marked autos. <laughs> he chooses Roadster after putting in a nickel. Probably. Yeah. And a little uh, thing comes out, which he uses to build himself a brand new Roadster. Not to be left behind, though, their horse. Uh, he had a name, but I didn't catch it. It was kind of hard to make oh, out. It's it's a play on Sea Biscuit. Is it Road Biscuit? Oh, yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Fortunately, there's a back seat. So the horse hops in and they drive off down the road into the iris out. And that's the end. Kind of makes me wonder what wonderful things were happening to the horse <laughs> in the meanwhile. <laughs> yeah, kind of. I mean, when last we saw him, he was just dangling by his harness at the top of the pile of cars. Right. Um, but yeah, this is, you know, this is pretty clearly uh, taking advantage of the hype that must have been going on for the World's Fair, mm. which was basically just a a thing to show the the people living in the Great Depression that, oh, don't worry, the future is going to be great. You know, uh, nobody nobody tell them about World War Two. This is obviously a farce, but yeah. I, I think older World's Fairs, they really did dream bigger. Oh, sure. Like that, the one with the jet pack, you know? Whereas, oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, people people speculating about life would be like in the amazing year 2000. Right. I mean, we, hell, we watched like, the, the, what was it? The House of Tomorrow? Well, you know, like that's this cartoon is sort of a lead into that style of cartoon. Yes, absolutely yeah. it is. Yeah. The House of Tomorrow, yeah. the Car of Tomorrow. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. The TV of tomorrow. But yeah, um, it's like I said, it's clearly sort of a propaganda ish. Hey, if you're affluent enough to afford going to the cinema in this uh, Great Depression that we're in, just wait until you see what the future is like. And as I said, I sometimes think about, boy, all these cartoons like in the 30s when animation was just ramping up and theaters were oh, people loved going to see Goofy and and Felix and all this stuff. Mm. People had no idea what was about to happen in the 40s. Mm. And that's pretty dim. Like that's it's dark to think about like, oh, man, you were just getting out of this Great Depression. You had your liquor back. (laughs) Well, look what happened. They rose to the occasion. That's why they are the greatest generation. Um, Yeah. So, yeah, this was this was fun. I always like Max Fleischer stuff. I like this kind of cherubic style of like animated person. Um, I did note that Elmer sure looks a lot like a Bob's Burger character. Oh, yeah? Yeah. With his, like, long face that kind of turns into a mouth without really becoming a chin. I see. <laughs> yeah. Um, some people, yeah. you know, some people say that a plot needs conflict. Not Dave Fleischer. At least not no. in something like this. <laughs> or, like, when Betty Boop went to see Grampy and that kind of thing. It's just some stuff. Yeah, yeah. Just, just some happy stuff. Oh, sure. It's like those movies where they'll just be like like Mary Poppins, where it's just like, let's spend 15 minutes inside a chalk painting that kind of goes nowhere. Oh, yeah. You know, that that movie's got conflict, though. That's got. Oh, it does. Yes, it does. But like there's scenes like that in those movies where it's like just just for fun. Here's, you know, extended sequence of people tap dancing. Mm. The Wizard of Oz, you know, Um, you know, rarity for this. I don't know. Hmm? Uh, Margie Hines is the voice of Miranda. So uh-huh. it's a Fleischer cartoon that didn't use May Quistel or olive oil. She sure looked, sounded like it, though. Well, they, they have a type, obviously. And uh, Jack, yeah, yeah. Jack Mercer, Popeye as Elmer, though, of course. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, um, Max Fleischer cartoons are always fun. They don't have to be Popeye to be pretty cool. Yeah. Um, now, let's talk about what else can. OK, this is the amazing <laughs> future here. Well, let's see what the future is really like. Okay. Is the future a fairy tale? Sure. In the year 1977, a me was born, but also this animation was produced. It's Spinolio, directed by John Weldon. It's a short film from the National Film Board of Canada, and it's a parody of Pinocchio, if you hadn't guessed already, as well as a satire about life. So, fairy tale title music leads us and the narrator into the woods. Giuseppo is a lonely... Oh, boy. I gotta, gotta stop being doing that Italian accent. Um, he's a lonely woodworker who longs for a child. He gets the swell idea to create a marionette and name him Spinolio. Oh, how he wishes he was a real boy. <laughs> that night... I've heard this story before. Yeah. Well, but, but have you? See, that night a cricket appears at the windowsill, but Giuseppo's cat just eats it. There's no Jiminy's in this tale. Or Wilbur's. Yes. <laughs> wow, we got themes out the yin-yang. <laughs> um, so Giuseppo gets demented and believes that a fairy has made Spinolio into a real boy. 
he tosses the da- the doll out to the out of the front door, you know, a, ostensibly to go to school, and obligingly school children just take him along to class. The inert doll fails all of his academics but aces his behavioral grades. Uh, I like that he gets an A in patriotism. Yes. <laughs> Which is funny, he wouldn't have well, I, I don't know, would he? Did, did we we stood for Canadian things, right? Well, yeah, but there weren't many of them. It's not like we, you know, did the Pledge of Allegiance every morning or no, anything. No, no, no. Like, there was, it was very, it was just, you know, that's kind of the thing about Canada. It's like, or a lot of countries other than the United States, I guess, where it's just like, Probably. you know, we take it for, you know, we know this country's great. We don't have to hammer it into your head. Sure. Americans really are like, no, this country is the greatest and make sure you learn it. Well, whether it's Canada or U.S., it's a broken school system because they graduate him anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and the student in line for graduation behind Spinolio holds him up for the dean's handshake. There's a lot, yeah, you know, he yeah, he's well liked by his. Uh, yes. Colleagues. Yeah. There's a lot of helpful people in Spinolio's life. Do you think that any of these people are aware that he's just a doll? Well, I mean, keep going with the cartoon. OK. Um, Spinolio goes on to get work at the complaints and refunds counter at a department store. He's unflappable, unmovable, so nobody gets a refund. This success promotes him to assistant manager. As before, he's cool under pressure and also a great listener. This leads to a transfer as the work counselor. After many years, he is replaced by a computer, a great big two-tape wheel old-fashioned computer. Yeah. He gets a gold watch and forced retirement. Uh, and just lying on the street since he is, you know, just a doll, gets him arrested for vagrancy. He's thrown in jail for a month where he gets along great with the convicts. When he's literally thrown out of jail, he's swept up by a street sweeper. Then he undergoes, undergoes disastrous stints with drug addicts and bikers. His broken body is rebuilt by a homeless man to use for begging. Briefly, he becomes a prop for religious kooks, then ultimately finds himself back on the streets. A fairy appears now and rewards him for his industrious life by turning him into a real person. However, that real person is a strung-out street dweller. And with his new gift, he snoozes in a trash can. <laughs> <laughs> this cartoon is very 70s. Oh, yeah. From the largely white backgrounds with textured hatching to the music and voice recording. Very, very 70s. Oh, yeah. The hippies. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, okay, so Spinolio, I didn't remember it when I started watching it. But as soon as it started going, I started to get flashes of things before they happened. Yeah. So, you know, he's carving the doll. Like, I know what this doll's going to look like. He's going to make <laughs> it go to school. Yeah, I was yeah. getting all the little flashes. Yeah. You might have been confusing it with a different cartoon. I don't think so. I just didn't remember it super well. But, you know, once once I'm into it, yeah, I remember this thing. I was making a joke about Pinocchio. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this <laughs> this thing is cynical. <laughs> yes. Yeah, but it's also funny. It's like, yeah, I, 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 I try to imagine the the con, the conceptualization of it. It's like, what if Pinocchio never actually was animated? 
but everybody just went along with it. Right. Well, like in I the said, modern day. Yeah, it's amazing how everybody's, you know, just carrying them along, you know. I, yeah, yeah. I guess, ironically, the only person that, well, I think, recognizes them as a doll is one of the homeless people that throws them in that trash can. Maybe. Well, um, I, I think the guy that puts them back together is like. Oh, right. Because he's like, hey, got a quarter for me and a quarter for my little buddy. And then just immediately discards them. Like, I think that person knew. You know, it's funny that the, the Disney Pinocchio kind of leads him down this path anyway, where he goes to that island that makes kids into gamblers and drug addicts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. I guess that's just the parallel. Like, you know, he's telling the story of Pinocchio because, you know, he gets a job mm. um, and then gets kicked out of it. Um you know, he runs afoul of the law. He lives a decadent life that'll lead him to ruin. Right, right. It's just he has no conscience. He needed that cricket. Heh. I understand that the the original Pinocchio tale is very dark. So, oh, gosh, I, I just remembered now that there's a cartoonist that I like who was doing a very slow, very infrequently updated cartoon telling of Pinocchio. I wonder what the status of that is. Hmm. I should try to find that website again. Hmm. The, the director of this one, uh, John, John Weldon, he's done many shorts for the National Film Board. Oh, yeah. You know his style when you see it. Oh, yes. And I, at least for Canadians, <laughs> his best known one is no doubt the music video Log Driver's Waltz. Oh, yeah. Like, played on TV. Sometimes it even played in movie theaters. Heh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that thing was everywhere. It was on YTV all the time. I actually thought um, the lady who gave a quarter to the bum and Spinolio. Yeah. Like, I was looking at her. I was like, boy, she looks familiar. And then it's, oh, right. She looks like the girl in uh, The Log Driver's Waltz, yeah. which makes perfect sense. Yeah. No, that one is doesn't quite reflect the dark cynical sense of humor as or in his other shorts. No, yeah. I've only seen, I think most Canadian, Canadians probably know the lump as well. Yeah. Um, it's, it's about a short guy who gets a handsome bust on his head, uh, like a, a sculptured yeah. head. Yeah. Yeah. And it propels him to a career that ultimately leads to a fall <laughs> just like yes. this. Um, and the other one I've seen is Frank, the rabbit. Ooh, I started watching that and I couldn't get into it. Yeah. Well, I watched it for purposes of this podcast, trying to find uh, National Film Board stuff, but. You didn't watch Special Delivery? No, I've not seen it. I don't think that, I don't think I have anyway. That one, he won the Academy Award for Best uh, Animated Short Film for that one. Hmm. Um, it's about this guy whose wife tells him to shovel the snow off the sidewalk but he doesn't. And then when he goes out, he finds uh, the mail carrier's dead body having huh. slipped and fallen on the ice. And it's just a, a domino story of, you know, the cover up leading to all kinds of chaos. Huh. It's really good. It is really good. Yeah. And probably another like eight minute kind of thing, right? I can't remember exactly how long it is, but it's it's relatively Short. long. Oh, yeah. OK. It, it, well, I mean, it's not like 11 minutes or anything, but, it, yeah. you know, it tells its story. It's pretty good. Maybe watch that for extra credit next week. Hmm. All right. 
well, maybe we need to rebound this trajectory of uh, going down to perhaps rising up against a world that is uh, 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 more inspirational, at least on the surface. Yeah, let's go back to dystopian future cities. Well, kind of. Um, it's kind of kinda. idyllic, though. A little bit, yeah. Uh, this is called Wittershins. Now, I looked this up. Yeah. Because I'm pretty, I said, I think I said last week, I thought I heard Wittershins as something that Paul Blart, the noted mall cop, has said at least once. Yeah. Um, although I haven't actually, no, wait, that's not true. I have seen Paul Blart too. Um, anyway. Don't admit that. Yeah, well. There's there's a podcast where every year they review Paul. Oh, right, right. Too. So I was like, after listening to a few episodes that I was like, OK, let me actually watch this now that I've heard the plot <laughs> told in detail. <laughs> right. Um, But anyway, Wittershins, what Wittershins is, is it's a Scottish word that basically means counterclockwise. Mm. But it's also used for something unlucky and like uncomfortable. And this, it starts, it's, it starts out with this guy who is awakened by his uh, automatic household. There's a rouse thing. He, I guess he has a robot helper, a little floating ball, not unlike Wheatley in um, Portal. Hmm. Uh, I believe called Birdie. Betty, I think. Hey. Isn't it Betty? Maybe Betty, it's Birdie. Birdie, I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, it's hard to tell, hear through that Scottish accent. Yeah. But anyway... This guy, whose name is Mr. Wittershins, and he is awakened and he is unhappy. He just kind of trudges through the automatic process of getting dressed. This is sort of like the opposite, and I'm, I'm pretty sure this is why you gave it to me. It's sort of like the opposite of All's Fair at the Fair. Right. Where, where that was like, oh, look at how amazing life is going to be in the future. And he's like, well, I'm in the future and this sucks. He's just right. kind of bored with being dressed by himself. He's bored by his perfectly nourishing breakfast of a hard-boiled egg. Soft-boiled egg. Soft-boiled. Yeah. Soft-boiled egg, I'll, yes. I'll interject yes. here. I think most modern people don't have soft-boiled egg cups in their kitchenware. Yeah. You're probably right. But when I see huh. one in a cartoon, I want one. <laughs> and maybe I draw a happy face on the one side, too. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, yeah, he just kind of trudges outside along this gangplank that unfolds in front of him, steps blindly into a sort of flying carriage that he knows is going to be there. He's just boredly gets his shoes shined. He watches a billboard go by that says, hello, perfect world, which seems to be advertising these little robot helpers. Hmm. And inside the robot helper starts showing him ladies that are good romantic matches for him. But he is not interested in any of them. And he actually darkly proclaims that if the robot really wants to help him, it would put his arm, his hands around his neck and squeeze. <laughs> but then they run through smoke. There's a lady in steampunk gear who's riding some kind of like, like, you know, the Da Vinci flying machine thing. Except probably and less she, practical. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. And she's just blowing smoke everywhere. And also she defaces that hello, perfect world thing with the robot on it to say hell world and put devil horns and stuff on the robot thing. And Mr. Wittershins is immediately in love, although his robot helper, I'm going to call him Birdie. Okay. 
Because um, it would make sense that the male would be... Because I thought for sure, a moment sure. that this was a female robot that was jealous, but uh, it's helping him get... Also, it has a little mustache, I think. Does it? Okay, but anyway, I, I accept it. I, yeah. Anyway, he's mad at Birdie for trying to uh, give him perfect romantic matches. And as he plays back his encounter with this lady, Miss Caprice, I'm going to say her name is because it's in the credits. Ah. Um, the uh, birdie keeps saying that the romantic possibilities are like 5%, 2%, 1%. Like it's just not going to happen. And now life isn't going as well for Mr. Wittershins because this robot doesn't want him going out and finding this lady. It refuses to dress in. It refuses to open the doors. And when it does, when he forces his way through, it refuses to activate the gangplank. Uh, there was a, um, uh, what is it? A, an advertising billboard thing on a drone mm. saying to dump your jump, ju- dump your <laughs> junk and upgrade now. And that thing is there again. But the mysterious Ms. Caprice flies by and makes it say, jump now instead. And so he does. He manages to catch onto one of the carriages and starts running along the hmm. series of flying carriages to catch Ms. Caprice's flying machine. She obligingly lowers a ladder for him, but malfunctioning stop signs uh, cause him to get caught. Turns out that um, his little robot companion is following to try to thwart this. Wittershins goes through a bunch of mishaps and ends up falling into a trash pit at the bottom of this city of tall buildings. But there, he is greeted by Ms. Caprice, who is excited and and happy about how he has finally ditched all this junk. Hmm. He is also happy. And then Bertie shows up again and he starts to, you know, threaten the automaton until the automaton starts to bring out some wine and flowers and stuff that he could use to woo his new lady. And then he starts to treat it nicely. But treating it nicely is exactly what Miss Caprice doesn't like. She takes off down the corridor where spray paint says to let them rust. She is uh, morose. She had built a second steampunk hat and now she's hmm. kind of sad that she won't get to use it. And Mr. Wittershins is sad as he watches. He he lets the robots groom him again. He's sad as he sees the uh, Miss Caprice's defacement get uh, cleaned off. He seems resigned to his life and uh, Bertie comes in with the soft boiled egg. But he finds that Mr. Wittershins isn't in his bed. Mr. Wittershins is outside on that plank again. And he seems quite happy to jump, which alarms Bertie because he wasn't expecting this. Bertie is now sad that his master is presumably dead until he sees Miss Caprice fly by with Mr. Wittershins holding on to the ladder. He jumps on and accepts the second hat and the two fly off into not the sunset, which actually makes sense because another meaning of Wittershins is like the opposite of the way that the sun rises. Right. So, yeah, happily ever after having bucked technology and just hanging out in steampunk land. Oh, and I'm just noticing now that I'm looking at this, that the um, the cityscape in the background is London. Mm. So, yeah, it's like embracing uncertainty, I guess, also. 
Yeah. So um, this is a cool kind of opposite of all these um, House of Tomorrow deals where right. I'm in the House of Tomorrow and it's boring. Um, I like the computer animation here. I like that it's yeah. like it's all black and white with this crosshatched shading style. Yeah, it's like inking texture to emulate the old lithography. Yeah. I also like that it got some of its funding from the uh, what is it called here? It is called the oh, the National Lottery. Hmm. I guess oh, there's right, a right. national lottery in England. And I like yeah. their little logo, which is like a, a hand with fingers crossed, like wishing for luck. But also okay. the folded fingers and a line on the palm make a smiley face. Okay. Um, England or actually I shouldn't say England, the United Kingdom. You have a cool lottery logo. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> so, yeah, it's got this retro future style, this cartoon. Yes, um, it does. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of like uh, Coruscant in the Star Wars. Oh, prequels, yes. Except yes, except, except they're old style cars that fly. Right. And, <laughs> um, there's actually time. There's another uh, there's an anime like called Read or Die, where mm -hmm. one of the main institutional forces is the British Library. Um, oh. And it's, it's headquarters and agents have a lot of weird anachronistic super technologies. So like <laughs> one of their agents, Joker, has an old phone receiver as his uh, cell phone. He just like pulls it out of his oh, vest. Yeah. And yeah, it's got like an old timey phone. Um <laughs> That was one of my favorite jokes in The Simpsons for Gil. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. Gil, the hapless um Not to Dale, not to Gil. Yeah, that guy. Yeah. There's one where he, he, like, has to call his wife to tell him that he lost the sale, and he pulls out this gigantic cell phone with a rotary dial. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a good deal. Okay, so so Wittershins, the gentleman. Yeah, he's Wittershins. He's dissatisfied. Yes. Uh, but he's, like, he's a man of leisure being a proletariat in the system is surely way worse. And then I wondered, do such people exist in this society anyway? I think probably. Hmm. Mm, yeah. I mean, if you have everything, yeah, like he says at one point, it's like, what's the point of a healthy and long life? It's a, if it's as healthy and long as mine, like, I don't know. Are, are you sympathetic you to have him? Do, do, are you happy for him? Uh, well, I'm I'm happy that he found romance. Yeah. Um, I guess, you know, he chased his happiness and he got it. Sure. So good for him. You know, some people just aren't cut out for the modern life. Some people need to be country mice. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I don't think this is meant to be like, I mean, this is meant to be kind of silly and fanciful. So, well, not, yeah, not a direct analog. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, maybe this is just somebody who's like, man, people stop, won't stop looking at their iPhones. I'm going to make a cartoon about it. Okay. Or maybe it was somebody who just watched too many Tex Avery blanks of tomorrow and said, it's not that great here in the year 2018. Hmm. Well, I mean, maybe compared to like 1950 it is, but uh, anyway, this was a pretty good thing, and it's on the internet, and you can watch it for free. Wittershins. Yeah, you should. Yeah. Maybe we should move on, though. Look to our future. How's it going to be? Our future of 1987? Yeah. Okay, so I had a hankering 
for some dice rolling. We do this every once in a while where we pick some random episodes of a show, usually with the objective of figuring out how good was this classic show, really. We've done it with yeah. Rescue Rangers, we did it with Garfield and Friends, and now we're going to do it with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah. You know the theme song, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Turtle Power. Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> it's the second one. We'll see if we get any episodes <laughs> from it. Um, yeah, so, uh, Matsy, we're going to need a 193-sided die. All right, let me see what I got. I have a D10. And I guess it would be a D3 because we need a zero. No, wait, the two would be the zero. So, yeah. <laughs> I guess I guess we only need a D2, which is to say a coin. So one of these times, one. one of these times, <laughs> I think people assume that we're just making dice noises while we use a randomized uh, computer choice. But yeah. No, I I have I have dice. I, I literally have dice. I have a lot of them, actually. Too many, some might say. Hmm. Um, all right. So, oh, wait a minute. I don't need a D2. I need a D20. Hmm. More conventional. I, I yeah, I, uh, <laughs> missed thought. I was thinking about the hundreds. I forgot the tens digit. Okay. So you have a list of all 193 episodes? I do. And we're skipping two-parters. Yeah, I don't know how many of them there are, though. Anyway. All right, well, we'll see. Well, if we look at the list and it says part one, then we'll know. Yeah. All right, here comes the first one. Ready? Here we yeah, go. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, looks like it is 36. Okay, 36 from season three. Wow, <laughs> really? Yeah. Well, the first season is only five episodes. Oh, hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, 36 is Cowabunga Shredhead. That could literally be, be anything. anything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I guess we found our uh, control yes. now. Uh, how many are we these doing anyway? We're doing four. Four. Okay. Uh, here comes another one. Uh, 105. See, one of the beauties of doing these is that uh, I never watched the ones that went on to ABC, I think. Mm. Or barely ever. Okay, 105 from season four. Big jump here. Um, the Turtles and the Hair. <gasps> Is this the Usagi Ojimbo episode? That would be remarkable, wouldn't it? I don't know. Oh, wow. I, I don't know. Oh, man. Oh, a... I'm excited to watch that now. So that was... Uh, shoot. <laughs> don't tell me. Don't tell me. One, that was 105, right? Turtles. 105, yeah. The turtles oh. and the hair. Oh, that's cool. Oh, man. We'll see. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. Um, you, I'll do another one now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this looks like 49. 49. Okay. We have... Some low dice rolls here. If I was playing D&D, I'd be in trouble. Okay. We... we <laughs> I... I... I I already remember this one's not well animated. Uh, it's Michelangelo's birthday. Hmm. Okay. Yes. And one more. Oh, I rolled a 20. 
Uh, which means episode two. <laughs> episode. We can't do that one. No. The, the, okay. The, the, I'll the, try again. Well, probably not. I mean, they kind of stand on their own, but the first five are all like apart, right? Oh, okay. Okay. okay yeah. Fine. I'll I'll reroll. But yeah. I did roll a twenty. I want that for the record. Critical. Hey. Uh, here's one hundred and twenty-eight. <laughs> okay. Uh, we got a good old David Wise written episode here. Um, oh boy. It's Krangenstein lives. Hmm. We I don't think we got okay. any of the really weird ABC ones, but uh, okay. Mm, we'll see. But that's why they're random. Well, yeah. There we go. All right. So, since this is an experiment, I have a hypothesis. I think this cartoon is uh, really not going to stand up to the test of time. You may be right about that. But we'll see. We'll see. You know, I liked Garfield better than I thought I would. So <coughs> maybe turtles mm. have a chance. So. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, look forward to that next week. Until then, let us know what to watch or give us a topic to cover, stuff to talk about. Um, did you hear the dog outside Massey's place? Did you hear my cat? <laughs> Which did you like better, that dog or my cat? Uh, you can reach mm. me at DrabSwatch on Twitter. I'm at AC Matsy, and you should probably tell everyone about this show, especially because we got Ninja Turtles coming up, and everybody loves Ninja Turtles. Mebs, I'm talking to you. So retweet, share the podcast, and share the Celery Stalker slogan from the future. Complacent, Ray Ben.